Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. there with me. Um, and, and as you're doing that, um, let me, let me kind of set this up just a little bit. I, I introduced Ashley and me. So, so you, I mean, you've met us, but you don't know us. You don't know me. You have no reason whatsoever to trust me this morning. And so I'm going to ask you just like we have asked God, I'm not putting any faith and hope and trust that you're going to accept me or like me or hear me. I want you to hear from God this morning. That has been my prayer for you. And likewise, I want to ask you that you would allow God to move me out of the way and that he would speak directly into your heart. I want to confirm, I want to confirm the words of Ashley this morning. As God put this word about living water into her heart, she had no idea what I was preaching. You had no idea. John 4, Jesus says, if you would have asked, I would have given you living water and you never would have thirsted again. Confirm, Holy Spirit present here with us. Amen? Pray with me. God, we ask in the name of Jesus for the next few moments that you would ignite your word in a powerful and real and unforgettable way. God, that we would walk away better than when we came in, not because of anything we've done, but fully landed at the feet of your son, Jesus Christ, and the gift of the spirit that washes over us to make us new creations and more like Christ, just like these children in the water and just like us in your presence this morning. God, we need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And as we dive into John 4, we're going to meet a woman who's an absolute wreck. She's a mess. I just want to share with you briefly, Ashley and I have walked this journey. We got married in 2011, and God had not allowed us to have children, right? Which is why we're stupid about our dogs. But Last three years we've been on this journey asking God. We believed in Red River, New Mexico two and a half years ago that God said to us, I will give you a family. We believed it. We prayed it. We claimed it. We said, yes, God, come, right? And then we walked through IVF and IUI and trying to figure out what that looks like. And the doctor said, you cannot have children. And we said, maybe not, but you ain't God. And God promised us a family. So we'll follow whatever direction you tell us to follow to protect her body, keep her moving. And then God has 
stepped forward, I'm not kidding you, in the most profound and powerful way and said, I'm not only promising you a family, I am giving you a family. I'm going to deliver you a family. And by the grace of God, there is a little boy due somewhere that we believe God's going to put in our lives. Look, I'm completely, I don't know if you do like personality tests. I'm sanguine, like off the chart, like I'm a, I'm a seven with a wing eight, right? Or whatever that means, I don't know, right? And I mean, and I get, I get, I mean, people walk in the room and I'm like, yeah, my people, I don't know you, but you're my people, right? I mean, I get so excited about this. But in this moment, I got to tell you, you are hearing me say to you that we are all sharing an incredible journey of God un leashing his power and his goodness for you, for me, whether it's here or whether it's in Dallas, we are God's people and God's going to do a work that we can't explain to people. And so we are so excited to be with you here this morning. The reason, the way we got through all that was through getting on our knees together. God has galvanized us in a spiritual way that has been so beautiful and made our marriage and our friendship just this harmonious work of God through his word, where he just has poured out his word. Hebrews 4 says God's word is living and active, and it penetrates the heart, divides the soul right deep down in us, and it pulls us apart from the things that separate us from God. This is good news, right? In Psalm 27, David says, he makes this claim, surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. As we wait, you wait. God is fulfilling. God is delivering. Right? There's there's so much goodness. Even Job, Job 42. You know, after, you know the story of Job, right? All the junk that he goes through, where God gives Satan permission to rip him apart from the things that he loves and to just wreck his life. And at the end of Job, he makes a confession where he says, the Lord does what he wills and no one can thwart his plan. No one can thwart his plan. And he goes on to say, I spoke of things I did not understand. I've done that. You've done that, right? And then in verse 5, he says, I'd heard of you with my hearing ear, but now my eye sees you. You know what that means? I knew about you, but now I know you because of the junk that I've been through, and you delivered me. (laughs) That is good news for you and me today. That is incredible news for you and me today. And through all of that, I believe with all my heart that Scripture drives us to faith. God's Word compels us not just to to understand God, but to know Him. So in Psalm 27, again, verse 4, when David says, One thing I have asked all the days of my life, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't mean David wants to be in church every day. Right? This is good, but I mean, come on. Right? It means he wants to be in the presence of God, where there is no darkness and there is no shame and there is no guilt 
There's only freedom and there's only life, right? Scripture drives us to faith, but here's the rub. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? You know what the opposite of faith is? It ain't doubt. You know what the opposite of faith is? It's sight. Sight is the opposite of faith. I can see all that I want to see about God. I can understand. So when I say, surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, the reason God denies that to me now in this moment is so that I'm fully dependent on him. There's coming a day when I will get to rest at the feet of Jesus when all is made new and my sins are washed and my sin is gone and there is no darkness and there is no trouble between God and me. But for today, I have to walk through this earth, I have to walk through that stuff so that I have to depend on God because I need him. I need him. And as much as I love my wife, hear me right, I don't need her. You know why I know that? Because Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. (laughs) He is enough for me. God is enough for Ashley. But he's given us to each other to experience this and to follow his, and to know his goodness and to experience you and to be a part. Why? so that we get to celebrate and be a part of what God is doing in the world. It's for us. God did it for us, for his own glory. That's the way he's wired. Don't ask me to explain that. He's God, I'm not. But everything he does is for us. I've seen the Dallas Cowboys played virtually every game for the last 30 years. I'm a big fan. Are you a fan? Any of you Cowboy fans in here? Yeah. The rest of you will get baptized and saved soon. But do we... (laughs) Here's the deal, though. I've seen enough Dallas Cowboy football to have very little faith that they're going to win. You with me? I don't have faith they're going to win because I've seen what they're not capable of. (laughs) My sight has become a barrier to my faith, even in my team. This is what God does for us. I'm going to let you taste and see just enough goodness that you know that there's more that your soul will long for. but I need you to put all of your wants and your needs and your hope and your security and your strength and your future in my hands. Let me carry you. Let me deliver you. No one else on earth can meet a need for you like I can. This is the story of John 4. You know what? You know the difference between the Cowboys and and the almighty creator God of grace is? God never fails. (laughs) God never loses. A woman showed up at that well that day, not even knowing what she really needed. Right? And when she got there, she experienced Jesus, not even knowing who he was. And she saw something, but she didn't have the faith in the moment because she didn't know she was supposed to have the faith. She just dealt with what she saw. This is what John 4 is about for us. 
right? So there's some pretty epic takeaways in this story I want to share with you. First of all, we only see what we want to see. It's just how we're wired. It's who we are. We see what we want to see. And most of us have a tendency to dwell in the past. And whether our past is good or bad, we live in that past and then we carry it with us into our present. And then in so many ways, that then determines our future. And so even if we're a good person, maybe you grew up in church and you did all the right things. Maybe you got baptized as a young child and you carry that good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm doing okay, I'm good. And you get here in the present, you're like, this is a pretty good place to be. And your eyes are so shut and you don't even see your need for something greater that God has for you. We're all guilty of that on some level. And maybe you have this past that is treacherous and you feel unsalvageable and you feel filthy and you feel like you're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough to live up to the standard that God would want for your life. And so you bring that into the present and you say, God, I'm, I'm here, but I'm really not worthy of this. And the reality is you don't see what Jesus sees. You don't see what God sees in your own life. You just are dealing with your past and God says, that's not enough. It's not good enough and it's not bad enough. And none of it will ever disqualify you from the grace gift I want to give to you. Will you see me? We only see what we want to see, right? This is a loser spirituality. This is a spirituality for losers. Putting all of your hope and all of your security and all your thoughts and all your access to God in what has happened in the past. Dr. Phil is completely wrong, right? Past behavior is not the best indicator of future behavior for those who are in Christ, right? I'm sure he's a smart guy, but he's wrong about that, about the things that matter, about eternal things. Because God wants to do a refining work in your life that has nothing to do with your past and has everything to do with your future. That's the heart of God for you and for me. And so in John 4, this woman comes to Jesus, right? And he says, will you give me a drink? And what is her response? John 4, 9. She says, how come you a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. There's so much wrong with this encounter. First of all, Jews didn't interact with Samaritans, right? And, and the, the disciples knew that because as they were coming into Samaria, they went one way to avoid the Samarians. And Jesus said, I'm going to go get a drink. You go town, go to town, get some food. And Jesus goes up to the well, not by accident. He goes there very intentionally because he knows this woman who does not deserve this encounter is going to come. And he wants to be there for her ready, regardless of her past. Doesn't matter that she's Samaritan. Doesn't matter that she's a woman. Jesus is going to lay all of that aside and say, I am for you. <laughs> but she doesn't see what he sees. She's only capable of seeing what she knows. And so 
she totally derails. She derails the conversation. Total distraction, right? She says, sir, give me this water so I don't ever get thirsty again later in the conversation. Give me this water. And there's a beautiful moment, you know, where, where Jesus says, you know, I really know who you are and, and, and where you've been. And so when Jesus says to her, go call your husband and have him come back here. And the woman says, sir, I, I have no husband. And then Jesus rocks her world. He says, oh, I know. I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. You've been married to five different men in your past. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. So you're exactly right. What you're saying is true. You have no husband. But it's worse than that. You're only giving me a half truth. Why? Because what she sees is her internal need to be okay with someone else in the world. You with me? She's seeking security. Watch this. From a man she does not know. Maybe this guy is her next husband. She spent her whole life looking for a man to fill a need in her life. And it's never been enough. It's never been enough because she only sees what she wants to see. Here's a man, maybe he will accept me. Think about that. Think about the low level of qualification that she's given the men in her life. You're a man, you'll do. And it sounds so awful but there have been moments in our lives when each of us, you, me, all of us, we look at people and we think, you're a dad, you'll do. You're a mom, you'll do. You're a friend, you'll do. And we had this low level of expectation, not just for them, but for ourselves. My biological father was an alcoholic abusive. I was three and a half years old, floundering around on a bed while my dad swung a belt at me. That's the only memory I have of my biological father. Scared, fear. That was my expectation of what a father was. Had no idea. And so when my mom fled with me and my baby brother. And we went back to live with my grandparents. And then at seven years old, my mom meets a man named Joe and they go on a date and they take us kids with him and we call him dad on the first date. That's not awkward, right? <laughs> first date. And a year later, he marries my mom and showed her love that she had never been shown by another man in her life. And for 40 years, Joe was my dad. Called him dad till the day he died. And he rewrote the definition of what a man was supposed to be in my life. 
and I'll never, ever forget it. Right? This woman had spent her whole life seeking relationships with men that might satisfy her, and it was never, ever, ever going to be enough. It's loser spirituality because it's so small. Isaiah 55 says, God's ways are not your ways. My ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Well, that feels unattainable then. Okay, great. So Jeremiah 29 says, call on me and I will come to you. When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. How do you see him? Romans 1.20, you know this verse? You should commit this to memory. From the very beginning, God's eternal nature, his divine character, his mysterious qualities have been clearly seen in all creation so that no one has an excuse. You walk out the door and you see a longhorn steer in your backyard. There's God. We drove into town and we see these yellow trees. We're like, what are those? We need some of those in our yard. We don't have fall in Dallas, right? We need yellow trees. There's God. You look up, you see the sky. When the sun is blazing and when it's freezing cold outside, there is God. His eternal nature, his divine character, clearly on display, so none of us has an excuse. It's right here for us to see. We don't get that promise through the actions of another person. We get that promise through the delivery, the deliverance, the hope, the strength, the confidence, the joy, the eternal salvation given to us through Jesus Christ. That's where we put our hope. We only see what we can see. So I'd ask you this question today. What are you willing to lay at his feet. That woman in that moment with Jesus and her encounter, she had no idea that she was even going to be required to lay anything at his feet. And so when he asks her the questions, where's your husband? And she has to answer. He says, will you give me a drink? And she says, you have nothing to draw water with. Why are you talking to me? She has no idea that he says, I don't really want a drink of your nasty water. I don't really want a drink of your dirty well water. I want you to have water that will never run dry. I want you to drink from the cup of my new covenant with you as a child of God. I want you to taste and see there's something so much sweeter and so much better for you than anything you could ever pull up out of that dirty hole. I want to give you something new, something vibrant, something alive. But the the truth is, it costs us something. What are you willing to lay at the feet of Jesus? In order to experience all this new goodness, what are you willing to give up? I'm not asking you to give up money or possessions or time or talent. Maybe that's, that's between you and God. I'm not asking you for that. I'm asking you if you're willing to lay your life at the feet of Jesus and let him do something miraculous and profound and life-changing, not just for you, but for everybody in your orbit. 
Because when we open up our lives and let God come in, he does something for us that is bigger than us. His ways are higher than our ways. He opens our eyes to see things that otherwise we could not have seen because he's not motivated or driven or limited by our past. He's only concerned with our future. Come on. Right? This is the God of grace that we see. Number two, not only do we see only what we want to see. Number two, Jesus sees us. All of the cards are stacked against this woman. The world looks at a woman like that and they see someone who is unsalvageable, unteachable, unlovely, unknowable, not really worth time. It's why she wouldn't even go to the well with the other women because they were so judgmental and harsh on her because of her story. But Jesus looks into our lives and he sees you as someone who is salvageable, teachable, worth dying for, worth the sacrifice. I will leave my seat at the right hand of my father, Philippians 2, and I will come and I will not just die a death, but I will die a criminal's death on this planet so that you also can be a co-heir with me and experience the name that is above all names. That you too can be a child of God with me and you are no longer a prisoner of your past, but now you're a warrior of the future and you're going to fight off the enemy and destroy him and crush him under your foot with me. And we are going to live in eternity worshiping the King of God, the King of heaven, the Lord of lords, the almighty creator. That's what we get to do. Let's go. Right? It's worth it. It's worth it laying our stuff down before God. It's totally worth it. It's all yours. This is so huge for us. While only seeing our past as small loser spirituality, this is what it means to be a winner, an heir with God, an heir with Christ, to lay all of our stuff down so that then in turn we can pick up his stuff and carry that with us and embrace and be held by him. And all of a sudden, the past is gone and the new has come. And we get to walk and live and breathe in that. It's worth laying our stuff down because Jesus sees what we can't see. Right? And so this woman asks him, how come you and you are asking me a Samaritan woman for a drink. In verse 10, Jesus responds to her, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water that never runs dry. I'd change everything for you. If you only saw what I see. I would change it all for you. And she goes on, verse 12, to say, Sir, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get this living water? And Jesus says to her, verse 13, 14, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again. Why? 
Because this water is limited as an element of this earth. It's a chemical property. It's only going to sustain your body for a short period of time. What I want to give you is a taste of the goodness and the glory of God that will so saturate your body and your heart and your soul that you will never have to look for a way out and for a drink again. I want to give you all that you need. Why? Because Jesus sees us and he sees our need. So here's God the Father. Here's us on earth as sinners. And Jesus comes to earth not just to die, not just to do a good work, not just to, but to bring us to God, right? That's who he is as a mediator. He draws us to God the Father. And it's a beautiful, cohesive, symbiotic, beautiful thing that cannot be taught or explained in a science class. Here's God, here's us. I don't deserve him. Jesus brings me to him and now I am one with him. So that, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old is gone and the new has come. I am a new creation, brand new, not limited in my sin, not blinded by my darkness and my guilt and my shame, but living in freedom in the presence of Jesus Christ where he sees me exactly as I am. This is crazy. Jesus went to that well knowing exactly what he would find there, this messed up woman. And he went, not anyway, he went specifically to be with her because he knew she had a need that no one else could fill for her. That's a God of grace. He has stepped into your life. He knows your past. He knows the hurt. He knows the rejection you felt. He knows how ugly and messy your spirituality has been maybe. And he says, I don't care about all that. I care about you and your heart. And I'm going to meet you right where you are today. I'm going to set you free so that you can worship me. And when we sing these songs, they're not just words that you have memorized. They're the melody that you enjoy. It means something to your heart. And so we sing and we express and we lift our hands to God. And he says, well done. <laughs> Mufasa, right? <laughs> Say it again. Mufasa. <laughs> she hates when I do that. <laughs> she doesn't hate it. This is who God sees. This is who Jesus sees. He sees our need and he steps into our need and he rescues us for the very purpose then of getting to this place where he meets us right where we are, knowing everything he knows about you, knowing everything he knows about me, he just meets us. He chooses to meet us right where we are. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work, both to his will and for his good pleasure. I don't know about you, that's good news. That's freeing for me. Knowing that I cannot do enough and I can't be enough and I can't raise enough and I can't give enough. That is God who is at work to his will and for his good pleasure. And I'm just a beneficiary of that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Lord. 
Come, Lord, I'll take it. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Look, the reality is we all have. They all have. We all have. Because without him, we're all doomed to an eternity without God. Romans 3 says, all of us, every single one of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 6 makes a promise. That he stepped into our mess and into our brokenness that he came into the world where we have pulled ourselves away from the glory of God. And he reminds us, you know, the wage of that sin, the cost of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we get to step out of that mess and into this beautiful picture of God's glory that Jesus makes available for us on the cross. He sets us free. We can't do it for ourselves. Why? Because number three, God sees it all. God is fully aware, completely unsurprised by anything that has happened and is ever going to happen. God knows it all. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's God. We are not. We cannot attain what he knows and who he is. But he has given us this invitation to step into a relationship with him because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Psalm 16. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. God sees all of our junk and still goes to the well and waits for us to show up so that he can tell us a story that everything you've done is forgiven. Every every person you ever did wrong, I forgive you of that. Every mistake you've ever made, you are set free from that. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is what? gone. It's passed away. The new has come. (laughs) He's got a new plan, a new story for your life. And so then the woman has this moment with Jesus where she says, you've told me everything I've done. You must be a prophet. Are you a prophet? You've got to be a prophet. You told me stuff about my life that no one else knows or that I've never told anyone. She said, tell me this. Your people say we should worship on that mountain, Zion. My people believe that we have to worship here because this is a mountain that was given to us to worship on. Which is it? And Jesus says this in verse 23. He says, the time is coming. In fact, come when what you're called will not matter. And where you go, to worship will not matter. Because it's not going to be about who's a Samaritan, who's a Gentile, who's an American, who voted for Trump, who's a Christian, who's a Jew. It's not going to be about any of that. It's going to be about who is in Christ Jesus. Who is a child of God set free by the gift of God on the cross through the person of Jesus. Who has received that 
and walks in a newness of life. That is what's going to matter. She says, I don't know about that. I really don't. I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. But I do know that the Messiah is coming. And we're pretty excited about that. And you know what Jesus' response is? I am he. I'm the one you've been looking for all along. Watch this. It's none of those five husbands you had. It's not even that man you're living with now who tells you it's okay to go up to the well at noon so that you don't have to deal with any of those other nasty women. He's not enough for you. They weren't enough for you. Jesus says, I am he. I'm the one that's going to deliver you and set you free. This is what he wants for you and me. This is what he desires for you and me and has desired all along. God sees it all. Something really interesting about this story also. You know, the little village where the woman lives is is called Sikhar. You know what the word Sikhar means? It means the end. Jesus stepped into her life to put an end to all that searching, all that looking, all that wanting, all that needing. He stepped into her life to put an end to all the troubled past in her life so that he can say, I am making a path that is brand new for you. And so Jesus steps into yours and my life, and this is the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And so now we can never worship him the same again. We'll never see him the same again. You know why? Because he gives us a fresh set of eyes, a new set of eyes. This living water not only satisfies our soul, but it opens our eyes and opens our ears to see him in a fresh way. He sees all. God sees all. Jesus sees us. We no longer just see what we want to see. Now we see what God wants us to see. Psalm 37, if you delight yourself in the eyes of the Lord, he will give you the desire of your heart. You know what that means? It doesn't mean if you love God, he'll give you what you want. That's a lie. It means when you love God deeply and you are intimately connected with him and in his presence, all of a sudden your desire is what he desires. Everything changes. Because what you wanted and needed before was small. It was loser theology. It was loser spirituality. Very small. But what he wants for you and me is eternal. Something good. It's something greater. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And today, I believe with all of my heart that God is inviting you into a fresh encounter with him so that you never thirst again because he's washing over you in this place to give you hope and power and promise that no man, no woman, no job, no income, no piece of property, no website, 
No social media follower. Nobody will ever satisfy for your heart the way Jesus longs to satisfy your heart. Is that good news today? God, thank you. You are good to us and we don't deserve your grace. But God, I know that in this place, in this room, uh, this morning, there, there, are, there are people who just need a word from you, just need a fresh encounter with you. And so God, I pray that you would pour over them, rush over them, God. Give them hope and joy. Let them see what you see to experience you in a new way. God, I pray a new day for the river. God, I pray that you would invade this place with a new power, new wisdom, new vision, new hope, that as good as it is, God, you would go even further and people would drive. They would come and experience your goodness in this place and that every story that leaves this place would point people closer to you, that you would do a refining, renewing work. Thank you in advance, God. Thank you for what you are doing. God, this morning for those who need, they need to hear from you. I pray that you would give them courage to come and receive the gift. God, that you would be with those who you have anointed to speak truth into people's lives and encourage them with your word. God, I pray that they would speak truth and power. Do a beautiful work here, God. For those who need prayer, God, as they come, I pray that their hearts would be set ablaze by new hope and joy and freedom and release that only comes through you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.